Uh, oh, shit. Um, this is really bad news. Uh, let me make sure I'm recording. Uh, uh, somebody who's always been uh, incredibly decent uh, to me has had his father die. Um, and that's Rush Wistart has had his father die today. Didn't know his name, but his name is uh, Harvey. Harvey D. Wistart uh, died. Uh, and so uh, that, that truly sucks. I'm looking at a picture of uh, his father, and his father looks just like him. Um, so uh, that's uh, terrible news. I didn't know that before I even started the show. Uh, so that sucks. Um, so that really sucks. I'm sorry to hear that, and I'm sure everybody uh, extended uh, their well wishes to him. Um, sorry about that. Uh, what you don't see. This is the Vape Week. Uh, the date is June 24th, 2016. So uh, I got a couple different things that I want to talk about today, and uh, I'm going to be assembling it live. Uh, what I've do, I've got a guest. Uh, the guest is going to be the FDA, uh, and there's a uh, brand new recording here uh, as far as the PMTA. And I still think of the three different options that are viable to any e-liquid company that the most viable is going to be compliance. Uh, there's a couple different things that are going on as far as legislation. That's H.R. 2058. We've talked about that many times. And we've also talked about the Cole Bishop amendments that are riding along in an appropriations bill. I believe that the Cole Bishop side of it will be determined rather quickly. Uh, I think that... Uh, it could be in months or, or less uh, because that appropriations bill does have to move. I don't know the exact time frame, uh, but as I went over, uh, there are no senators that I'm aware of that are currently supporting this. And uh, the bill has to go into a reconciliation process between the Senate and the uh, Congress. And so the, both sides of uh, the House uh, of the Congress have... Uh, moved the bills forward so there needs to be that reconciliation process the house put something in there the senate did not and so when it goes into that reconciliation meeting there's going to have to be some senator out there that says yeah we want to go ahead and put this in uh, we want to horse trade and put this in and as far as i know there is no uh, person out there that is a senator that is at least saying to the public that they want to back it. So I believe without any backers, uh, they'll bring in the House side. They'll ask if there's any backers uh, in the Senate. There'll be none, and uh, that will be the reconciliation. Uh, it needs both sides, and it only has one. Uh, if there is something, if there is a senator out there, I haven't heard uh, of any champion on the Senate side of Cole Bishop. Um, so I believe uh, it's likely 
to uh, get passed over uh, and the rest of the whole bill will move forward uh, which is uh, just I think the way it's going to be um, so we'll find out that'll be found out quickly uh, and then there'll be HR 2058 and I believe that HR 2058 uh, will not be uh, active in this year or rather it certainly is not going to take place before 8 8 2016 and that's the time where uh, the freeze date ends and every product needs to be on the market. Now, as I've talked about before, uh, there are no, there is no ability for the FDA to regulate items which are not tobacco products. And there are definitions of tobacco products, there's definitions of components of tobacco products, but without tobacco, it's not a tobacco product uh, unless it is a component or an assembly of a covered tobacco product. And I'm trying to use the exact same phraseology as the, what was used in the, the web seminar uh, presented by the CTP, um, and that's available on the FDA website, and that's the one that I played. So again, uh, trying to, to just say it quickly with using their t terminology. Uh, covered tobacco products will be regulated by the FDA Included in covered tobacco products are assemblies and component and piece parts of a tobacco product. Items that are components and piece parts that are to be used in the final assembly will not be regulated until they are produced into a final uh, finished product. So the FDA will use its regulatory discretion to regulate items at this time that are finished good products. Uh, and then what I'm saying is clearly uh, it has to be a tobacco product and so uh, as I said last week um, Sevia represents a large uh, faction uh, if not you know let's say 75% uh, of the incoming Chinese uh, products coming into the United States are from Sevia members um, maybe a little bit more maybe a little bit less those companies will obviously have their parts that are made before 8.8 be able to be sold under all of everything that we know, right? What my question off to Sevia is, and off to Dimitri, and, and both of them have not responded to this, is what is the position of Sevia USA regarding new newly designed apparatus will they continue to market that into the United States after 8-8 so let's just say in October October 1 will a new brand new design out of Joytech, Kanger, uh, Aspire, Smoke uh, or any of those ones will they bring that product and sell it into the United States will it be exported into the United States will it be made like I believe Joytech has a United uh, a, a US distribution center I know that that uh, think it's called Uvapor Uvapor is the distributor the official distributor of Aspire and I believe they're up in Washington will they bring those new hardware products newly minted and newly designed after 8-8 into the United States on October 1. 
or will they just stop bringing uh, new products in? Now, what I believe and what I've been saying for over two years is that there's nothing preventing them, nor should they stop bringing those new pieces of hardware in. And that's been controversial to some, but at this point, I think that Sevia should be telling its retailing partners and its distribution partners what they plan on doing because I absolutely believe they know exactly what they're going to be doing because they have funded lawyers, they have ample money, they have been able to, they, they know that this decision needs to be made in just 45 days. They know what they're going to do. So right now, there are vapors uh, all over the place and vape shop owners all over the place and then you got advocates like Dimitri that are telling shops that they might as well just close their doors. And so there are people stroking up the fears and the panic and screaming fire in movie theaters saying that this is going to happen, that, that, that you know, it, it, it's, it's doom and gloom and uh, we're, we're all about to get trashed and there are people freaking people out. And that's a problem in my mind. And I believe that Sevia and Dimitri, uh, because Dimitri is the chairman of Sevia, have that answer. They know exactly what those large mega companies are going to be doing on October 1 with newly designed products. And they owe it and they are obligated and they have a duty and a responsibility and an obligation and whatever other thesaurus type items I can think of to tell the vaping community and the shops and the businesses exactly what they're going to do. And right now it's being withheld. Uh, it's, it's not being stated. And, uh, you know, I've heard, uh, you know, these, uh, these guys, uh, the, the, the vaping uh, thugs, uh, the vaping militia, that they, they are saying that some shops just uh, should go ahead and close down. Some trade shows should just go ahead and close down. Um, I think that's irresponsible, and, and uh, every time I hear it, I'm going to push back on it uh, because I don't think that shops should close down. I don't think that, uh, you know, uh, because of, uh, you know, vape events need to be so fearful that uh, jackbooted thugs of the FDA are going to be running in and, and shutting down their shows if they uh, offer some means of having a uh, free sample to an event that is carded at the door to be 18-year-old and up. I think that there's needless panic being strewn around this industry and uh, by people uh, that honestly I don't know their motivations anymore. I don't know, uh, they say it's all about the smokers, all about the smokers, and they just, just disregard uh, the vaping community uh, as, as some sort of cloud blowers, uh, cloud chasers, or something that they just detest. Uh, there, there seems to be uh, this new element, uh, and I'm, I've watched a couple of videos, obviously, this week. There's people that, that are kind of anti-vapor within the vaping community. And it's not, anti-vapor is probably not the, the right word. They're ashamed of, of vapors um, uh, because they're not doing it the way they do, like to do it. So uh, I think these are all topics I've talked about before. So... Uh, need to get that information. Now, I did talk to uh, Matt Cully just very, very briefly, uh, and uh, I asked him this very same question. I said, D you know, he obviously is a reviewer. He reviews a lot of uh, things on YouTube. Uh, got a good channel that if you uh, aren't aware of it, it's called Suck My Mod. His uh, lovely wife is named V. Uh, the best episodes are always the ones with her. 
uh, and and the even the absolute best ones are if it's just her and not him. Well, wait a second, that's never happened to my knowledge yet. But it's a YouTube channel. Go ahead, check it out. Uh, but uh, he's going to try and get that information if he's able to. Uh, so uh, because obviously uh, he gets advanced products from some of these uh, companies, and uh, maybe I'll be able to get an answer from uh, Matt Cully on that question. Uh, but uh, I absolutely believe that uh, Dimitri has an obligation to tell the entire industry what the position of this trade group is because they represent such a large portion of the hardware that comes in. And again, my position, what I believe is well-founded in the law and that is certainly supportable and that something that the FDA would not would not even challenge uh, that they have the right to bring in brand new freshly designed products that were not on the market or even created on the drawing board after 8-8 of this year that they can do that now again this has been my position for many years uh, literally and uh, people are now uh, still saying that I'm wrong well fine uh, you know that's all water under the bridge at this point in 45 days there's there's an answer and that trade group Sevia and all those large companies know that answer and they they should tell us so uh, that's uh, topic one the next thing I'm going to talk about is there is a FDA compliance seminar timing and tips for a PMTA so that's what I'm going to go over next this presentation was released today it's brand new today it's called timing and tips for newly deemed tobacco product applications. It comes along with uh, a PowerPoint. And so it's gonna go over different dates and things. Uh, so uh, I'm gonna play the whole thing. It takes about 17 minutes. And I'll, I'll, what I'll do is I'll stop it and start it. Uh, you just need to go over to the FDA to pick it up. And uh, I'll try and go through what I think of it. Maybe I'll have some clarifications and I'll try and point those out. FDA recently issued a final deeming rule extending its regulatory authority to all tobacco products, including e-cigarettes, cigars, and hookah tobacco, among others, except for accessories of the newly deemed products. In this webinar, we'll focus on the timing of pre-market review submissions for newly deemed tobacco products and provide some tips for those submissions. And joining me today is Christy Stark, Associate Director for Science Policy in the Office of Science at FDA Center for Tobacco Products. Now, we won't be taking any live questions during today's presentation. However, at the end of the program, we'll provide you with information on how you can send your questions to the center. Now, let me turn the program over to Christy for her presentation. Thanks, David. Today, my presentation will focus on the timing of pre-market review submissions for newly deemed tobacco products and tips. Specifically, the goal of the presentation will include the following topics. Pre-market review of newly deemed tobacco products, the timing for the submission of and marketing of newly deemed tobacco products, and helpful reminders. So this, her name is Christy Stark, um, Masters of Science and Associate Director of Science Policy for the Office of Science at CTP and FDA released today. Spelling of the name is C-R-I-S-T-I, -I, last name S-T-A-R-K. 
As explained in the final deeming rule, which published May 10, 2016, newly deemed tobacco products are subject to pre-market review requirements. A new tobacco product means any tobacco product not commercially marketed in the United States as of February 15, 2007, or any modification of a tobacco product where the modified product was commercially marketed in the United States after February 15, 2007. Per the statute, a tobacco product is considered grandfathered if it was commercially marketed in the United States on February 15, 2007. Any newly deemed tobacco product that falls under the definition of a new tobacco product must receive pre-market authorization to be legally marketed. There are three pathways to market for new tobacco products. They are a pre-market tobacco product application, known as a PMTA, the main pathway to market, a substantial equivalence report, an alternative to the PMTA pathway, and an SE exemption for modifications limited to additives. If a manufacturer chooses to utilize the SE pathway, a comparison must be made between the proposed new tobacco product and a predicate tobacco product. An eligible predicate tobacco product is a tobacco product that was commercially marketed, other than exclusively in test markets, in the United States as of or on February 15, 2007, or a tobacco product that FDA has previously determined to be SE and in compliance with the Act. A product that has been authorized under a PMTA or the exemption request pathway cannot serve as an eligible predicate tobacco product in an SE application. Okay, so this is something that I have that I've talked about before, where it was an and or an or statement. And so this is what I was writing back to the FDA back in 2014. Um, and I was talking to, uh, I actually, they actually put me on the phone with one of the lawyers that actually wrote the act. And it says that a tobacco product that the FDA has previously determined to be substantially equivalent. So this is what a predicate product could be. So what it says is a tobacco product that the FDA has previously determined to be substantially equivalent. So if you had a grandfathered product, this is confusing. I'm confusing myself. A tobacco product that the FDA has previously determined to be substantially equivalent and in compliance with the FDC Act. So the question that I'm trying to answer out loud right now is whether a product that is found to be in compliance with the act after the fact so I release a product and then I create a PMTA for that product and that PMTA product is approved can I now use what was approved newly under a PMTA say in in 2018 can I use that product as a predicate product for a product that I want to use in 2019? Or do I always have to create a PMTA newly for every single new product and I can never compare to a product that is approved under the Act? My belief is that if a product is 
approved under the Tobacco Control Act. It meets all of the criteria for safety and all of those things that the FDA ever wanted. And because of that, that that product should be able to be used as a predicate. And it's a better predicate than a grandfathered product because the grandfathered product has unknown science to it. So what this says in the presentation, which I'm looking at that, a predicate product tobacco for an SE pathway must be either one, a product commercially available before 20, uh, February 15th, 2007, or a product that the FDA has previously determined to be substantially equivalent and in compliance with the FDA uh, for, with the act. So previously determined to be substantially equivalent. And so a brand new product has not been determined to be substantially equivalent. It's been determined to be in compliance. So it all boils down to what I asserted is that a product can be used once it's approved by the FDA. And what the FDA came back, and I've read some of the stuff, is still saying that it can't be used, that you'll have to draw a new PMTA, which does not make sense. Um, and so it, would, that, that it says SE and in compliance. I believe it should say or and not and and I believe it's a the congressional intent was clear and I think that this is just a, a semantic and grammar problem and I believe that the FDA should interpret it a different way I haven't given up on this but it, it's a higher hanging fruit it's not low hanging fruit uh, so I'm gonna keep on going for newly deemed tobacco products that are on the market as of the effective date which is August 8 2016 FDA is providing two compliance periods one for submission and FDA receipt of applications, and one for obtaining pre-market authorization. FDA does not intend to initiate enforcement action against such products for failure to have pre-market authorization during these respective compliance periods, provided the manufacturer has... Okay, so what they're talking about is that uh, if you have these things, which is about to say, done that they will not take action on your product. So this is essentially the two-year grace period. Provided the manufacturer has submitted a timely pre-market application, FDA does not intend to initiate enforcement action against such products for failure to have pre-market authorization during these respective compliance periods. Provided the manufacturer has submitted a timely pre-market application, and has not received a refuse to accept letter, also known as an RTA letter. So I believe, and this is something I'll check out, this is an action item out of this, is to find out whether the FDA has a communication cycle that happens before the issue a letter of refusal to accept, because the refusal to accept creates new conditions upon the e-liquid manufacturer. A refuse to file letter also known as an RTF letter, or a negative order on all pending pre-market applications for that particular product. Applications for pre-market authorization of new newly deemed tobacco products can be submitted and received by FDA starting on the effective date of the rule. 
As discussed in the final rule, the staggered compliance period for submission and FDA receipt of applications under the three pre-market pathways is as follows. As the exemption requests, you have 12 months from the effective date of this final rule. This means receipts by FDA through August 8, 2017. SC reports you have 18 months from the effective date of this final rule. This means receipt by FDA through February 8, 2018. And PMTAs, you have 24 months from the effective date of this final rule. This means receipt by FDA through August 8, 2018. So that's the last date. That's what we've all been thinking about, uh, two years from the 8th. And then the shorter time periods for the other pathways with PMTA being the longest. Unless FDA has issued an order denying or refusing to accept the submission, newly deemed tobacco products for which timely pre-market submissions have been submitted will be subject to a continued compliance period for up to 12 months after the initial compliance period. Okay, so what is confusing is the up to 12 months. I've seen it stated in multiple different ways. Well, not multiple. I've, I've seen it stated where it's up to 12 months, and I've also seen it that at least 12 months. Um, and those are obviously different. You know, up to 12 months could be one month, and at least 12 months could be 50 months. Um, so we need to find out that answer. Therefore, the compliance period closes for SE exemption requests 24 months from the effective date of this final rule. This means it closes on August 8, 2018. For SE reports, the compliance period closes 30 months from the effective date of this final rule. This means it closes on February 8, 2019. And for PMTAs, the compliance period closes 36 months from the effective date of this final rule, which means it closes on August 8, 2019. Okay, so now it's a little confusing, the compliance period. Unless the FDA has issued an order denying or refusing to accept the submission newly deemed tobacco products for which timely pre-market submissions have been submitted, there will be subject to a t continued compliance period. So here they're talking about the the additional 12 months. So they're saying that it closes after 36 months. But what is unclear is, is if they have not made any determination what happens on month 37. And that was a change that was done between the deeming and the final rule. I've already spoken to that. To further illustrate the timing, let's examine this in a chart. The first question you need to ask is, is my product a new tobacco product? If your tobacco product was commercially marketed in the United States on February 15, 2007, it is a grandfathered tobacco product and not new. This means you do not need to submit any type of pre-market submission. However, if your tobacco product was commercially marketed in the United States after February 15, 2007, or a modified version is commercially marketed in the United States after February 15, 2007, it is a new tobacco product requiring pre-market authorization under one of the three pre-market pathways. If you choose to submit an SE exemption request, meaning you've modified your original tobacco product by adding, deleting, 
or changing the existing quantity of a tobacco additive, your application should be received by FDA on August 8, 2016 through August 8, 2017. If this occurs, FDA intends to exercise enforcement discretion unless one of the following occurs. One, you receive a refuse to accept letter after August 8, 2017. Okay, we're, we're talking Two, about SE exemption. Exempt we'll then talk about SE reports. Three, and the last one is going to be the PMTA. The so the one we need to focus on is the PMTA. That That's why I'm talking over her. As closing on midnight on August 8, 2018. So you would need to remove your product from the market by then. However, if FDA did not receive your exemption request application by August 8, 2017, you must remove your product from the market before August 9, 2017. Now, if you choose to submit an SC report, meaning you believe your new tobacco product is substantially equivalent to a predicate tobacco product, not your us. application should be received by FDA on August 8, 2016 through February 8, 2018. If this occurs, FDA intends to exercise enforcement discretion unless one of the following occurs. One, you receive a refuse to accept letter after February 8, 2018. Two, you receive a not substantially equivalent or NSC order after that's that's a new chunk of information that uh, the SE uh, sorry the refuse to accept letter has to be outside of the two years so so long as you're making your application within the two years and this is what it seems to me and I, I think I'm correct but again I'm learning this at the same time I'm broadcasting this uh, that if you put in your application uh, within the two years and then they say we're not going to accept it then you're okay. Uh, you're still everything's fine and dandy still, except you have it's it's been kicked out. But you, no, nothing's going to happen to your product. However, if you get your product, uh, you get that letter after the two years, then another set of things trigger. Um, and so I, I'm certainly thinking that uh, you'd want to file in the two-year period. February eighth, two thousand eighteen or three, you have not yet received an order and the compliance period has ended. I note that we consider the compliance period as closing on midnight on February 8, 2019, so you would need to remove your product from the market by then. Still SE, not, not PMT. However, if FDA did not receive your SE application by February 8, 2018, you must remove your product from the market before February 9th. 2018. And last, if you choose to submit a pre-market tobacco product application, a PMTA, your application should be received by FDA on August 8, 2016 through August 8, 2018. If this occurs, FDA intends to exercise enforcement discretion unless one of the following occurs. One, you receive a refuse to accept letter after August 8, 2018. Okay, so that's the same thing. After August 8, 2018. So that's when the refusal letter 
makes a difference. I don't think that's been talked about by anybody yet. This is the first time I'm thinking about it. This is good news as this type of news goes. Uh, means that you, there's no downside to being aggressive with your applications in the two years. Two, you receive a refuse to file letter after August 8, 2018. Three, you receive a no marketing order after August 8, 2018. Or four, you have not yet received an order and the compliance period has ended. A no marketing order after August 8, 2018. Or four, you have not yet received an order and the compliance period has ended. Okay, so this is what the, the vice president of uh, the board of Safada, Shell Hamill, was talking about in the broadcast that I was alluding to earlier that was given this week. Um, and that uh, she's saying that they can just not do anything and yank your product off the, uh, the market. Now, I don't think they can just do that. Um, although, let's go back. She kind of just said that. Uh, so this is something that needs looking at. Or four, you have not yet received an order and the compliance period has ended. So if you've not received an order, um, that, I mean, that, that needs to be looked at. Uh, I do not think at all that the FDA can just, you know, ignore you and then rip your product off the market. Uh, you know, there's still courts. <laughs> you, the, the, there's still a court that you'd, you'd sue back at that. And I don't think that the FDA's process is going to be engendering lawsuits against them for something that any reasonable judge would say, you can't, just can't just ignore them. So the language is there, but the interpretation, I think, by Shell Hamill is wrong and that this is something another thing right down on the list that needs to be find, uh, found out in, in specific, that we need to find out exactly what the FDA's position on this is because it needs clarification. I'll agree with Shell on that, Mark. I note that we consider the compliance period as closing on midnight on August 8, 2019, so you would need to remove your product from the market by then. And again, if FDA did not receive your PMTA, by August 8, 2018, you must remove your product from the market before August 9, 2018. Okay, so that's what I've been saying, uh, and that's what Dimitri has been criticizing. Um, I'm basically saying that uh, in all scenarios that we currently have, people better be thinking about compliance and doing PMTAs. And if nothing else is to get that third year. So... Uh, if, if you don't care about a year's worth of sales uh, and you want to roll your dice or play your poker or do whatever you want to do, um, you know, you can do that. But that's not, it's not a smart thing to do. Now that we've discussed timelines for compliance periods, I wanted to leave you with a few helpful reminders. All pre-market submissions are considered regulatory correspondence and must be received by the CTP Document Control Center, known as CTP DCC, at the following address as displayed on the slide and also listed on our website. We are unable to accept regulatory submissions by email. 
Additionally, FDA staff are unable to deliver regulatory documents to the CTP DCC on behalf of any applicant or any person. CTP encourages electronic submissions via the Electronic Secure Gateway, ESG, in which submissions can be received 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year. However, if you opt to deliver physical mail, use the CTP mailing address. Additionally, delivery hours are 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. for physical mail. So deliveries received after 4 p.m. will be date stamped as received the next business day. Okay, so this is pretty clear. Uh, you would send it through the electronic gateway and then you would also send it in the mail. You would do both. Please keep this in mind as deliveries received after the compliance dates will not qualify for the compliance periods. Additionally, if you receive letters that request a response, such as an advice information request letter or a preliminary finding letter, pay attention to the dates. Please note that if the submission has a response date that falls on a weekend, an advice information request letter, or a preliminary finding letter, pay attention to Additionally, if you receive letters that request a response, such as an advice information request letter or a preliminary finding letter. Okay, so that's two types of things that would happen. It would be a preliminary finding letter and uh, what was the first one she said? Additionally, if you receive letters that request a response, such as an advice information request letter or a preliminary finding letter, both of those would be done before an official finding. So, uh, you know, you, you can always pull back your your thing. You can say, stop considering it, and I'm going to get you that information. And that would be one reason why they would not uh, issue you a, a uh, rejection letter. Now, what's going to happen in the third year is another question. Uh, so let's just go into the scenario that the application's in and it's running, and then they send you a request asking you for more information. So what I would do in that scenario is say, oh, shit, uh, let me get back to you. Uh, you know, don't do anything else. I'll get back to you in a month. And then uh, are they going to do anything in that month? They probably have better things to do. And so they'll just put you off on, on the side of the desk and then you'll get your stuff into them. Uh, and this is all, again, speaking to that, that finding that you don't fit it, fit in the uh, a negative finding. So can you stall? You can certainly stall out the negative finding in the first two years. And in fact, if they have a negative finding, it doesn't by what I just said earlier, I don't think that's going to make a difference. A negative finding in the first two years is not a big deal. You just do it again. But if they have a negative finding in the third year, does that blow it out of the water? Uh, again, something to be figuring out officially. Uh, that We're talking about three year, two years from now, uh, just about. Pay attention to the dates. Please note that if the submission has a response date that falls on a weekend or a holiday, it is to be received by the CTP DCC on or prior to that date. This is why electronic submissions via the ESG are encouraged as you can still submit and have FDA receive a submission on a weekend or a holiday. If you have questions, please contact your assigned regulatory health project manager.
It's also recommended you submit your application. If you have questions, please contact your assigned regulatory health project manager. Okay, so that's kind of something that I, there's a an assigned regulatory uh, health member, what is it? Contact your assigned regulatory health project manager. Regulatory health project manager. It's also recommended you submit your application well in advance of the compliance period timelines. If you receive an RTA, RTF, or negative order, you can submit the application again. If the resubmitted application is received, if you receive an RTA, RTF, or negative order, you can submit the application again. If the resubmitted application is received prior to the compliance period, for submission and FDA receipt of applications, FDA does not intend to initiate enforcement for failure to have pre-market authorization during the continued compliance period. What I just heard her say is, I'm not, the, the implications, this is good news, uh, but if I, if I think about exactly what she just said is, if you get if you get rejected you and it's within the two years you can resubmit it and so the only question that i think is going to make a difference is that your how dialed in and perfected does your labels need to be and your ingredients need to be at that juncture and everything that i'm seeing has flexibility and that's what I will be working on. If you receive an RTA, RTF, or negative order, you can submit the application again. If the resubmitted application is received prior to the compliance period for submission and FDA receipt of applications, FDA does not intend to initiate enforcement for failure to have pre-market authorization during the continued compliance period. You also may submit an application for a new tobacco product under multiple pathways. For example, if you receive an NSE order, you could submit another SE report, if applicable, or a PMTA. Again, if the new application is received prior to the compliance period for submission and FDA receipt of applications, you will qualify for the continued compliance period for obtaining pre-market authorization. To facilitate the review process, it is helpful to identify the name and manufacturer of the tobacco product, the package type and quantity of the tobacco product, characterizing flavor, and the category and subcategory. If you do not have a characterizing flavor, a statement to that effect is useful. And finally, all pre-market applications for newly deemed tobacco products require an environmental assessment for acceptance and filing. Currently, a claim of categorical exclusion does not apply. Examples of environmental assessments can be found on our website. This concludes my presentation. If you have questions after this presentation, I encourage you to submit them to askctp at fda.hhs.gov. David? Thanks, Christy. This concludes today's webinar. In addition to the email that Christy just gave you, you can also contact us by calling 
877-CTP-1373. And you can find more information about CTP on our website, www.fda.gov slash tobacco products. All right, so uh, that's the presentation that's uh, brand new today. Um, that's out there. Uh, go to the FDA site, uh, grab it, listen to it, uh, read the slides. Uh, there's some, you know, just going back over it now, uh, there's some new information in there that I hadn't thought about, um, and there's some some things that need clarification. Um, there are people that are saying that the PMTA process is going to be impossible and just give it up. Um I'm not one of those people. Um, and we've got lawsuits, multiple, multiple ones. I went over a lawsuit last week. Uh, I've now got the, the newest lawsuit and I've uh, skimmed it. I haven't really read through it. I know it's much more significant. And the other bit of news today is that the uh, lawsuit from Mazim Chowdhury uh, out of Keller Heckman is being combined with the one from Nicopure. And the Nickel Pure one, uh, I thought was very uh, hollow. It was did, did not have that much guts to it. And the uh, one from Azim has much more, which is the one from the Right to Be Smoke Free Coalition, which uh, a lot of people are contributing to, which I definitely support. I think that the odds of a lawsuit are low probability, 5%, 10% max. And if you win it, you don't win everything. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of different things. So, uh it's definitely something that should be done uh, and it's something that people should be helping with. And then there's things that I certainly don't know that could happen and benefits that Azim has thought of uh, that, that could happen. I've, I've, it's, it's, a, it's a weighty one and, and he's talking about a lot of different things that I have to look at, frankly. I, I'm not sure everything that it can do. I just, from other people that have said, uh, regulatory lawyers, that the, that the chances of getting... Uh, a lot of benefit are iffy. It's a uh, it's difficult to do this, and I think that the the one from Azim certainly has the best chance of any of them. And the fact that the Nicopure one has uh, Patricia Kavorkovic, uh, who is part of the Halo and Nicopure, she is a spectacular lawyer that has dealt with the FDA and succeeded. Patricia is the first person to litigate through the FDA, not litigate's the wrong word, but file and gain a substantial equivalent order under the CTP Act. And I'm not sure if there's been another one, but she got it for cigarettes, and I believe it was as simple as packaging. But she has filed with the FDA and got it done. She's now working for Nicopure, Halo, and I'm sure that they'll be doing PMTAs. She gives presentations on it. I've spoken to her in the past. I'll reach out to her again. Uh, she is a, I really like her as a person. I've talked to her a couple times, uh, and she is an excellent lawyer. Uh, so that's good news for Azim because uh, she's a big gun, and uh, he, she will now be able to help him directly. So go over to the Right to Be Smoke Free Coalition, which I'm sure you've everybody's seen, and uh, you can, if you're a company, uh, I would... Uh, suggest that you might consider uh, donating to that. They'll. My understanding is that at some point in the near future, they're going to give an idea of how much funding they have, what their funding goals are, and, and sort of a, do an accounting of where the funding is going to go. Uh, I'm not one for putting all my eggs in one basket, but 
is all as far as I can tell this basket is not full yet and it still needs help so people should help it um, and then uh, I'm not sure what else okay uh, that's gonna be the show I'm gonna play one song uh, I think something like uh, off of strangers rock bottom remember that uh, one of the core aspects of VP live uh, a guy who's been around for vaping a long time uh, has had his uh, dad pass away. So uh, reach out to the guy and, uh, you know, uh, extend uh, your well-wishing is what I would suggest to everybody. So uh going to go with rock bottom. It's going to get better. What would you say? What? You got it. Okay, this is something called rock bottom.